We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. So listen, we're just going to jump in. If you've got your Bibles, grab them with me if you would. And let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, I, I was uh, really scheduled to preach something else uh, this morning um, for the last couple of months. And uh, toward the end of the week, we just kind of went a different direction and just felt like the Lord wanted me to preach on prayer. And if it's okay with you, I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do and not what I planned to do. Is that okay with you all? And, uh, and so grab your Bibles. Matthew chapter uh, 6 is where we're, we're going to be. And the reason I want to talk about this is that the Lord has kind of been doing a, a fresh work in my life in regards to prayer. I've, I've kind of gone through seasons, and I've, I've shared this with our church family. If you've been here for a few years, is how God has just kind of reignited there a season of my life where prayer just seemed to be something the Lord is calling me into deeper, deeper um, encounters with Him. And and uh, so the last couple of months for me has been a little bit dry, I'll be honest with you, in my prayer life. It's been a little bit uh, kind of just challenging. I don't know if you've ever gone through this, but it seems like for me, there are seasons where my prayer life is just red hot. And man, I just can't pray enough. And I feel like the Lord's presence is with me every time that I pray. And then there are times where it's like I'm twiddling my thumbs, wondering if there's anybody here. Um, sometimes I don't even have the desire to get up and pray. Can anybody relate to that at all? Yeah, some of you, some of you are honest. Some of you need to pray about your lying habit and, um, <laughs> and get that taken care of. But um, so the Lord has just kind of been doing some things in my heart, kind of re reigniting this passion, this desire to pray and and I want to look at a verse of Scripture that I think will be helpful to all of us in this room that struggle from time to time with our prayer life, that, that it seems like we just kind of, I don't know about, about you, there's just sometimes I'm praying, but I feel like all I'm doing is saying words and it's not going anywhere. And uh, other times I wonder, and this is my confession to you, I'll be the honest one in the room, sometimes I wonder, does it even matter? Does it like, is, is God hearing me? Does this even work? I mean, I feel like I'm just saying the same things over and over again. Am I speaking any honesty in the room to anybody? Uh, so I want to talk about that for a few minutes and, and just grab this uh, passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of a dialogue that we know of as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is basically the discourse that Jesus gave to show us what the kingdom of God looks like. And so as, as Jesus comes, the king arrives and he is ushering in his kingdom and in this discourse, he is basically explaining, this is the ethics of my kingdom. This is how my followers will be transformed and live. In the midst of a broken world, uh, with a broken kingdom, a fallen kingdom, there is now this new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the citizens of this kingdom will live differently than the citizens of the kingdom of this world. And so what Jesus is doing is he's just simply explaining, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what you live like when you're my disciple. And one of the things that I think is key to get when we understand the, the, the magnitude of what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is that you'll recognize that it's only by the grace of God through the power of the transforming work of the gospel that we can, in fact, live the life that Jesus is calling us to live. 
That this kingdom life is not something we live with our own effort, but rather through the power of the, the transforming work of Jesus, he then infuses us with his spirit, enabling us to do this. Now, in the middle of this discourse explaining to us how kingdom citizens live, Jesus devotes time to prayer, talking about what prayer looks like for his followers. And he wants us to understand that kingdom people will be prayer people. And so he's going to talk a lot about this issue of prayer. I'm not going to cover everything, really just two primary verses, and then we'll skip ahead and read uh, a few other portions. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 is where we're going uh, to be. If you're there, say, I'm there. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to hear you from Upshur County there, Gilmer. All right. He says, and when you pray. Now, I want you to stop there for a minute. And when you pray. Three times Jesus in this discourse of prayer, we're not going to read them all. Jesus is going to say, and when you pray. Not if you pray. Not on the occasion that this might happen, but rather when you pray. In other words, Jesus is saying, my followers are expected to pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. That there is going to be in our hearts this desire to commune with God. And then there is this expectation from Jesus that we would commune with our Father. And so he says, when you pray. And then, then he says this. He says, do not heap empty phrases like uh, uh, Gentiles do. Or unbelievers is who he's referring to. For they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them. Now listen to this. For your father knows what you need before you ask. So what Jesus is doing here is he's really addressing one of the, the pitfalls of prayer that was common in his day. And I believe it's common in our day. And I, I really believe that it may be one of the reasons that we pray powerless prayers and why, like my life, my prayer life can be such an up and down experience. Jesus, in, in previous verses, he, he talks about not praying like the Pharisees or the religious leaders. You know, religious people pray differently. And here's what Jesus says. He says, Pharisees are religious people. Here's what, the way they pray. And he says, don't pray like them. They like to stand in front of big audiences and use big words and long sentences so that the people in the room listening to the prayer are going to go, my goodness, this guy can really pray. In other words, their prayer is not aimed for the ears of God, but rather for the praise of man. And so, and so listen, we, we've got to guard our heart from that, but I don't think that's the common pitfall of prayer. I think what Jesus is dealing with here in these two verses is really the area of our prayer life that leads us to the most uh, struggle and difficulties. And here's why. Jesus makes this statement here. He says, do not pray like the Gentiles. And here's how they pray. They heap empty phrases. They think that they will be heard by their many words. So here's what he's saying. He said, these pagans, these Gentile pagans, because they worship false gods and false idols and there's multiple gods, they have an impersonal approach. In other words, they, they're going to recite incantations. They're going to have formulaic prayers that they pray. They're going to repeat these prayers over and over again, and then they're going to heap them up. They're going to have all of these, these lengthy prayers using words and, and systems because they think that the effectiveness of their prayer life is by them using the right words, saying the right phrases, saying the phrases long enough, and saying them loud enough. And so here, and here is the difference. And Jesus is saying, this is not how my followers pray. My followers don't pray to a distant dead God or multiple dead gods who is impersonal. But rather, you have a father that you speak to. And he's simply saying, listen, prayer is not a matter of the mouth. It's a matter of the heart. 
You see, the pagans, they were praying to gods they didn't know. They were praying to gods that didn't know them. They were praying to gods that were powerless. And so they, they felt like if they're going to get the, the attention of their god, they got to say it loud. They got to say it long. They got to say it right. They got to tap their heels four times and say there's no place like home. And then all of a sudden something amazing happens in their life if they say it enough. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Hey, listen, my followers don't need to go through all of that. Here, here's what I've learned. I think that this is the struggle we have. I think many of us, we pray powerless prayers because we think we've got to be mechanical. We've got to say it just right. and We've got to say what we think God wants to hear. And we've got to say it long enough, loud enough, right enough. And then if we can do this effective enough, then and what happens is it gets exhausting. It gets tiring. And, and we don't really sense the power of God in that. And then we just kind of quit on it. Here's, I think, why. I think our theology of God is just really warped. I think we don't see God the way God is rather than how we maybe perceive him to be. Here's what I mean. Some of you have a deistic view of God. Here's what that, that simply means. You, you believe in a deity. He's out there. And even if you, you have a, maybe a, a Christian worldview, you think, okay, God is this creator, but kind of in your mentality, in your mindset, he's not really interested in you. Like, he's just like, I spun the top, creation is there, figure it out, and so you're here, he's there, and we're just kind of going, okay, I gotta say it right, I gotta say it loud, somehow I gotta do jumping jacks, I gotta get his attention because he's a far out deity that is not personal and I've gotta somehow get his attention and if I can get his attention, then maybe he'll respond to me and notice me and do something on my behalf. So some of you have a deistic view of God, others, others of you have a, have a view of God that you see him as a tyrant. Now you, you don't see God as loving and gracious and merciful. You see him as a tyrant. And maybe some of you, it's because of your earthly father. So when you think about praying to a heavenly father, you think of your earthly father, and you just kind of say, man, my earthly father was a tyrant. And here's what that simply means. It means that you always had to walk on eggshells. You always had to measure your words. You always had to make sure you say the right things in the right volume, at the right pace, and you got to make sure that you don't upset. And so I can't tell him how I really feel. I can't express my emotion too much. I've got to make sure that I'm saying it just right so that I can butter him up to get what I want because, man, my old man, he would just lose it, right? Some of you, that's your approach. And so you've transferred that to God. And so you, you, you enter into his presence with fear and trepidation, walking on eggshells thinking, well, I can't tell him how I really feel and I can't really make a direct request and I can't really talk to him like he loves me because, man, I'm, I'm fearful that if I don't say it the right way at the right time and catch him on the right moment on the good day, then he's not going to respond to my request. Uh, others of you, you, you see God as Santa Claus. And so you, he's just there to give you the things that you want, but there's a naughty list, there's a nice list, and so the days of the nice list is, uh, the, that I'm being nice and I'm on the nice list, man, I will go to God, I will ask big, I feel confident in his presence. It's like, man, I'll crawl in his lap and say, I want this, 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 and this, and you walk out going, I'm getting it, right? Because on that day, on that week, in that month, you're, you're on the good list. And then for some of you and during bad seasons, you're like, man, you avoid his presence because you're on the naughty list. No way he wants to see you. No way he wants to hear your prayers. No way he's going to give you the things that you're asking for. So you avoid until you can get back on the nice list, and then we enter back into prayer life. Anybody follow that? And, I, and honestly, I mean, th 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 this is the same fallacy that, that Jesus is addressing. He's saying, listen, we don't pray like the pagans who this, this God is unapproachable, distant. You've got to do jumping jacks to get his attention. You've got to do it just right and appease him in order for him to respond to you. Rather, you've got a God that loves you. And this is what Jesus is going to explain to us. Now, I want to articulate this in a creative way. And here's 
we, we title our sermons every week, and I, don't, I, I rarely ever talk about my titles. I never kind of say, hey, this is the title of the sermon, this is why. But this week we titled it, I titled it specifically uh, for a purpose, because I, I really want to frame what Jesus is teaching us about prayer and the approachability of God uh, with this title, all right? And the title is simply this, uh, why don't you pull up a chair? Why don't you pull up a chair? And here, here's why I, I want to frame it like this. Whenever you want to have a conversation with somebody that's a friend where you're going to get to the heart of the matter, typically, at least in our culture, that's going to happen around a table, right? It's going to happen over coffee, over a meal. And so we've got a table up here. And so, so when you want to talk about something serious, what do you say? When it's a friend and you want to kind of just have a heart-to-heart, hey, why don't you pull up a chair? Let's sit down and have, have a chat. We go to the coffee shop and we sit and we sip uh, and talk about life or we have, a, have, a, have breakfast together or have lunch or dinner together. I know at my house, here's kind of why I'm going this direction, uh, is because at my house we've kind of put some rhythms in place. Um, and we're not perfect in these rhythms, but, but we, for the most part, we're, we're faithful um, to the best of our ability. I always thought when I had young kids I had a busy life and then now I've got a high schooler and a junior higher and i got an all age group. Now it's like, oh my gosh, we can't catch ourselves coming and going. But we still try at our home to, to prioritize family meal at the table. Amen. TV off, no phones, sitting down, conversation. Because here's what I discover. When you can sit down, when you can pull up a chair and have a seat, conversations change, Right? But there's something that happens when you're sitting here with a great donut and a great cup of coffee, not so great cup of coffee, actually. It's kind of reheated cold. Um, we're we're going to suffer through it, though, all, all for the glory of Jesus. Um, but when you sit down, like at my house, it's like the, the, the guard are let down, right? And, and now we have conversation, and, and all of a sudden something happens. When we, when we take the distractions away, and then the phone's not there, and the TV's not on, we kind of lean into each other because we've kind of cleared the space for, for us to pull up a chair and sit down and chat. And then my kids, they'll open up, and they'll, they'll talk about their day. They'll talk about their frustrations. They'll talk about issues that they've dealt with. They'll talk about the things that went well in their day. They'll vent about the, the teacher who did the deal. You know what I'm talking about? That's every single evening right? You teachers, I love you, and uh, you should get a trophy every day for what you put up with, especially with the Connors kids, but they'll talk about that. So, because what happens is, is listen, at the, at the table, when they pull up a chair at the table, at my table, they're not there trying to earn approval of their peers. So, guess what I get? I get the real deal. I get who they really are and what they're really struggling with, what they're really happy about, and the things that are really happening in their life. When Adrian and I, we sit down with our family, um, we're not there to try to impress church members. We're not there to, to you know, she's not there to, to be evaluated by uh, her boss. She, she's just, it's just us sitting there. We pull up a chair and we sit there and all of a sudden the guard can be let down. Conversations can be had. We can let each other into our days and talk about the highs and the lows and the goods and the bads. And no one has to be fearful that they're going to be dismissed from on the table because they're opening up about the conversation and things in their life. You, know, you follow what I'm saying here? And what Jesus wants us to see, that what prayer is, God has given us, our Heavenly Father has given us an invitation, and here's what he's saying to us in prayer. Grab a chair. Pull up to the table and let's, let's chat. Grab a chair, let's have a seat, let's, let's talk. Because at this, at this relationship, I can open up and we can have dialogue and I don't have to pretend. And, and what God wants more than anything is for us to sit at the table with him where we can let our guard down and be who we really are in the moment. And that is where, church, listen, that is where prayer becomes most powerful. 
So the question you may ask is, okay, okay, you, you grab a chair, pull up a chair, sit down at the table. What can I expect at the table? What can I expect at the table? When I sit down with my Heavenly Father and I'm going to get there, I'm going to get, get, let the guard down, we're going to have this dialogue, it's just going to be me and him. What can I expect? I'm going to give you four things to write down that we glean from this text that Jesus just spoke to us. And I want to encourage you to write this down, write it in the margin of your Bible. It's very short phrases. You can write it in the margin of your Bible, put it in your phone, whatever. You know, saved people take notes, unsaved people don't, so you can figure out which one you are. Um, okay, some of you are really nervous. I was joking, all right? I was joking. You're like, oh, gosh. Um, so here are, here are four things I want you to write down, four things that will help us understand this is what we encounter when we come to the table. When we pull the chair up and sit down, here are four things we can expect. Here, here's the first thing I want you to know. Listen to this. God hears. This is what you can expect, a God that hears. He hears. That he's going to engage with you, and as you open up your heart, he is going to hear you. This is the point Jesus is making. He, he says, listen, when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to pray like the Gentiles because you have a Father that hears you when you call out to him. He hears you. That he is not distant, that you've got to yell to him. He is not uh, d disconnected, that you've got to try to capture his attention. No, 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 no. When you pull up a chair and you sit down and you begin to peel back the layers of your heart, here's what you discover is that you, you have a, a father who meets you in that place, who hears you when you pray. This is incredible. He is ever-present and he is sovereign and he is ready to distribute grace and mercy to us when we call upon his name. You, you remember the story in the Old Testament between Elijah, uh, there's, a, there's a story of him on Mount Carmel. He'll give you the back, back story. So Elijah's a prophet of God. There's a wicked king named Ahab, and he has an even more wicked wife named Jezebel. Jezebel is, is, is cray-cray. She is out there, right? And so she, she decides she's going to replace all the, the places of worshiping Yahweh, the li living God of Israel, and she's going to replace them with false gods. And so she's going to then kill all of the prophets of the true God and then replace them with all of the false prophets of Baal and Asherah, her primary false gods. And so there's, there's all kinds of chaos, and the people of God are worshiping false gods. And Elijah is one of the prophets remaining faithful, and he prays, and he asks God, God, would you bring a drought to the land to get the people attention. So God does this. For three years, it doesn't rain. So it's like East Texas, right? And so you, he, he, he does this. Well, this makes him public enemy number one because everyone knows uh, he has a direct connection with God. He prayed this prayer, and now all kinds of things are happening, hurting the people because Elijah prayed this prayer, and God responded. And so finally in the story, it comes, it comes to this climatic moment where Ahab is there, and, 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 and Elijah calls him out and says, man, these people are divided. They're trying to serve the gods of this land, uh, Baal and Asherah, and they're turning away from the true and living God, and it's time that God's people stop straddling the fence and commit one way or the other. Either you're going to go all in with the false gods, you're going to go all in with the, with the true gods, and I'm going to make a proposal. And here's what's Elijah's proposal. He says, we're going to build an altar. We're going to build a sacrifice. And we're going to offer, on this altar, we're going to, build, we're going to offer this sacrifice. And he said, and all of the false gods, false prophets of Astra and Baal, you let them come and they can call on their gods. And if their gods answer with fire and consume the sacrifice, then we will worship but if they do not, I will call on my God. And if he answers and comes and consumes the sacrifice, then we will worship the true and living God. And then Elijah, being confident, goes, you guys go first. 750 false prophets gathered together. 
And, and I, I can just picture in my mind, this is where my divine imagination comes in, you know, Elijah sitting back, uh, drinking a drink and having some popcorn in a kind of a recliner, just watching the show go on. They build their altar and they begin to cry out to their God and they get louder and they did their incantations and then they begin to dance and then they got louder and then begin to cut one another. And over hours and hours and hours and hours, uh, nothing is happening. And so Elijah thinks this is entertaining. He's like, hey, maybe you need to speak louder because your God is hard of hearing. And, and, then, and then, so they get louder. Then he's like, hey, well, maybe, maybe, you need, maybe he's taking a nap right now because your God is, is overworked and he's sleeping. And then he, then he says this. This is why you've got to read your Bible. He says, maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself, and you just need to give him a few minutes. <laughs> Go read the story. It's there. And then comes the conclusion. Listen to this phrase. And when they had done all of these things, no one heard them. No one responded. No one listened. And then Elijah says, it's my turn. And he says, I'm going to up the ante. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to dig a ditch around the sacrifice, fill the ditch full of water. Then I want you to saturate the altar because, and this is why he was doing this, he's upping the ante. If you're trying to get something to catch on fire, soaking it in water is never a good idea, right? But he says, I'm going to show you the power of my God. And so they did all of these things, and he steps up. No incantation, no shouting, no dancing, no cutting, no lengthy prayers, just stepping up and calling on the God of Israel. And in an instant, fire falls from heaven. And I love what the Scripture says. Not only does it consume the altar, but then it says he licked up the water. In other words, that was a great meal. I need something to wash it down with. Listen, do you realize the scripture tells us in James that Elijah was a man just like you? In other words, he was flesh and blood. There was nothing spectacular about Elijah. Elijah was flesh and blood just like you and me, but he believed that God heard him when he prayed. Listen, church, God hears. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. God knows. God knows. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need. He, he isn't distant. He doesn't need to be informed. He knows. And so here is the confidence you can have. When you pull up a chair and you have a seat and you're sitting at the table and you're going to have that conversation with God, you don't have to go in there going, okay, i got to figure out how am I going to drop the bomb on him? Like, how am I going to get there? Like, you don't have to do that. You just sit down and you know, okay, there's nothing I'm going to say that he doesn't already know. Listen to what? Augustine says about this, he says, those things, this is about the nature of God knowing before we ask. He says, those things which are future do not remain concealed from his knowledge and wisdom, in which both those things which are past and those things which will yet to come to pass are all present and cannot pass away. In other words, let me translate what he's saying here. The circumstances of my present, God is here and he is aware of them right now. And the circumstances of my tomorrow that I'm not aware of, God knows about them because he's there also as well. And when I get there, he's already been there and he's aware of the circumstances before I am. How great is that? Augustine goes on to say this. He says, it may be asked, this is where some of you are, what need there is for prayer itself. If God knows everything... He already knows what is, uh, what is necessary for us. Why do we pray? In other words, why do we even ask? He says, listen, unless it be that the very effort involved in prayer calms and purifies our heart 
and makes it more capacious for receiving the divine gifts. In other words, God knows. And the reason we go to him making requests that he already knows about, and here's why, check this out, because in talking about what he already knows, it makes room in our heart for us to receive the way he's going to respond and provide for what we need. Now listen, this, is, this fires me up. Because here's what I know. When I take a seat, when I grab a chair and I pull it up and I have a seat at the table and I'm going to enter in this dialogue, there's, listen, I'm not going to go in and go, okay, i got to break the news to God. I'm going to be able to say to him, hey, listen, there's a difficult thing going on in my life. Last week, man, this thing happened and God's going to look at me and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know because I was there with you. Yeah, I remembered. And by the way, do you remember how things turned out? Yeah, that was me, not you. And I know you're feeling this thing, so talk to me about it. Tell me about it. I know, I know what you're feeling. I want you to get it out. Just talk to me. And then, then I can rest assured that God is able to say, if, if he wanted to, to say, oh, yeah, and by the way, the thing that you're worried about telling me that I already know about, that I'm already working on, by the way, there are about four things tomorrow you're not even aware of. Just know when you get there, I'm there already working through things for you, and this is all going to be okay because guess what? I know. Now think about the freedom that gives us. So when I think about just, just what God is doing here at our church, you know, God is growing our church. We're seeing more people reach Christ. And, and for crying out loud, our Gilmer campus is driving me crazy because we think we build a building big enough and you guys keep filling it up and reaching more people. And it's amazing what God is doing there. And so think about, as, as for me as a pastor, I'm thinking, okay, we got to expand some of our facilities in Gilmer already. There, there, there are things that we've got on the agenda for the first of the year here that's going to require finances and resources for us to provide space for our students and growing children, all those things. And so I, here's, what, here's the joy and the blessing as a pastor to be a disciple of Jesus. I can pull up a chair at the table and I can be like, hey, hey, um, you know, the, the Gilmer campus is, is exploding and it is unbelievable. And man, we've got to do some stuff and I just need you, I, I'm feeling stressed about it. At no point is God going to go, are you serious? Hey, Holy Spirit, come here a second. And bring Jesus. Who dropped the ball? Tell me more. And it's not happening. No, 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 no. What we realize is we sit down, we have this conversation, and we go, okay, hey, this, this, this thing in my life is I'm struggling and I need your help. And, I, and he, he's never going to go, oh, my gosh, I dropped the ball somewhere. No, no, he's going to say, okay, talk, talk, because talk. I know already. But I'm here to engage here. It's like this when my kids are struggling. Like I, I, sometimes I know what's going on or what they did at school or what happened. So it's not like when, when, you know, Micah comes home and says, hey, this happened, I'm going to go, oh, I already know. Come on, stop talking about it. No, 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 what's going to happen? See, I want to hear what's on your heart. Listen, you can approach God with confidence knowing that he, he knows. Here's number three, God cares. He hears, he knows, he cares. This is why Jesus emphasizes throughout this portion of Scripture on prayer, he says, your father he doesn't say you're God, the deity, the being, the big man upstairs, whatever it is. He doesn't say that. He says, your father. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because this brings an intimate relationship 
between us and God. It bridges the gap. The distance that we think is there is not there because, listen, look at me, church family. You're not orphans. Praise Jesus for that. You're, you're not an orphan. You're a son and a daughter. You know, orphans beg when they're in need. Children ask. Orphans hope that a stranger will step in and give them what they don't have. A child approaches the father knowing the father cares for them. This changes the way we approach God. He cares for us. I love what John Stott says. John Stott says, God is neither ignorant so that we need to instruct him, nor is he hesitant that we should persuade him. He is our father. I don't have to come and convince him. He cares. He cares about you. The burdens in your life right now, and some of you right now triggered burdens that you're carrying, circumstances in your life. Listen to me. God cares about those burdens. He's with you in the storm. He's carrying you through the difficulty. Listen to what Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He's, he's going to expound more on prayer. He says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you? If his son asked for him for bread, would give him a stone. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a servant. I love this. Jesus is saying, listen, he, he's going to refer to fathers like you and me as, as earthly fathers. In other words, sinful, evil fathers, right? I drop the ball all the time. I feel like I'm a pretty good father, but I drop the ball all the time. And, and listen, I know how to give good gifts. If my kids come to me and say, I'm hungry, I need a piece of bread, I'm not going to take a stone, paint it like a piece of bread, give it to them, and then sit and watch and wait for them to bite and break their teeth off. Like, who would do that? Some of you are like, guilty. <laughs> There's counseling for you. That's all you need to know. Or if my son says, hey, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to fish. I'm hungry. I need, I need some meat. Hey, reach into that bag right there. There's a fish in there. And he pulls out a cobra. Like, like that's, who's going to do that? And listen to what Jesus says, the application. He says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to him who asks? In other words, Jesus is saying, if sinful fathers care enough about their children to provide their basic needs, to give them good gifts when they're in need, to give them and bless them with good gifts. If sinful fathers can do that, if you care for your kids in that, much, in that way, how much more then does your perfect heavenly father have the capacity to care for you in your time of need? We have a good, good father. Amen. We sing that song, right? A couple of weeks ago, I, I tell you, I, I did a wedding. And uh, I, I don't always do this, but after this wedding, you know, they gave me an honorarium, gave me a gift for doing the wedding. And I was, I was appreciative of it, but whatever reason, I, I called my wife. I said, hey, where are y'all? And she's like, well, actually, you're at the mall shopping. I said, hey, y'all, hang there. Um, I'm going to come by. I'm going to give the kids the money that I got from the wedding. And um, the kids didn't know it, so I just showed up. They're in the mall. And uh, I'm like, hey. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, like, I'm giving you this money. And they're like, why would you do that? And I just said, because I'm a good, good father. <laughs> see why? All right, so that's a true story. Hey, that cost me like 90 bucks. So <laughs> here's the thing. We have a good, good father who cares for our needs. You know what that allows us to do? It allows us to drop the facade. It allows us to drop the facade. 
Like we, when you know, okay, he hears, he knows, but he also cares. You know what that means? It means that I can pull up the chair and I can have a seat and I can grab the donut and the coffee and I can have a conversation with my father and I can share with him the real burdens of my heart. Let me unlock something for you. For some of you, this could take the handcuffs off of your prayer life. Listen to me. The reason most of us have powerless prayer lives is because we pray prayers that we think God wants to hear rather than praying the prayers that God actually wants to hear. We are powerless in our prayer life because we pray prayers that we think God wants to hear rather than praying the prayers that he actually wants to hear. And here's what I mean. We think that we have got to clean our, our issues up, our problems up, our struggles up, and somehow present a better version of God. And so what we do is we whitewash our problems, we whitewash our requests, and we come to him and we pray prayers. Okay, I think God wants me to say it like this. I think he wants to hear this. And so when we come to his presence, we'll go, okay, okay, God, I know that you are sovereign over all things and, and that you are just, just amazing and you're just like the incredible. And I just, I have this thing in my life that is, um, I'm, I'm not stressing because your word says not to stress and so I'm not going to stress about it even though we're cratering on the inside like we're just dying right and hey by the way uh, I've got a few temptations in my life nothing serious nothing big I just got a few areas that I'm struggling with and so if, if, if you could just help me do better and the issue is sin is whipping our backside and so we pray the prayers we think God wants us to pray. Rather than coming in and just looking at him and going, I've got to be honest with you, God. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. Father, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to pray. I'm, I'm so discouraged right now. I feel overwhelmed. And, and the Father's going to say, okay, tell me more, tell me more. You feel like I'm distant, don't you? Yeah, God, I feel like you're distant. I feel like you're a million miles away. Okay, okay, good. You've been scared to say that, haven't you? Yeah, I don't want to say that because I don't want to. But I, I, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. Let's, what happens is our guard gets lowered down. God, I've got this issue. Now listen, the Father begins to speak and say, no, 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 you don't have an issue. You have a sin problem. I know about it. You need to know I know about it, and I care about that. So why don't you talk to me about it? So you've got this struggle. Let's, let's talk about it. Tell me. Don't, don't make it prettier than it is. All of a sudden, the guard gets dropped and because he cares. We begin to open up and have this dialogue. You see, when my kids are hurting, when my kids are struggling, I don't want a prettier version of their struggle. I want them to pull a chair up at the, at the dinner table, and I want them to weep if they want to weep, to celebrate what they want to celebrate, to offload what they need to offload. I don't want them to come in and go, my well, life's very difficult. If life stinks, I want them to look me in the eye with tears in their eyes and say, Dad, life stinks right now. Why? Because I care about that. For some of you, you've got to take the handcuffs off. You've got to get out of this. I've got to pretty it up before I come in because your father cares about you, where you are, and he's inviting you to the table not to pray prayers that you think he wants to hear, but pray the real prayers that he wants to hear, which is whatever is on your heart. You know why? Here's number four. God provides. God provides. This is the point that he makes in chapter seven. He says, how much more then will your father give good gifts? 
So because he hears, because he knows, because he cares, I can grab the chair, I can pull up, and I can sit down, and I can just lean in and go, God, I, I, need, to, I need to share some things with you. And you, you begin to open up, you begin to weep or celebrate or cry and lay the cards on the table and talk about fears and, and, and sin and confession and all of those things because you know what you find. You find a God that provides, so you need strength. You know what you find? You find strength. I need hope. Where do I find that? At the table with my father. My life's a train wreck. I've got so many failures in my life, and I sit down and I get honest. God, I just got to tell you, as a father, I, I've sinned against you, and I've, I've got these things that keep tripping up, and I, gosh, I need forgiveness. You know what he provides in that moment? Forgiveness. God, I don't need you to help me do better. I need your power because I don't have any. I'm empty. I'm lonely. I'm broken. And, and, and as we understand that he hears, he knows, he cares, here's what's going to happen. He provides. You know what I've discovered? I go to him with a need, and he hears me. And I know he knows the need before I ask it, but then I discover he knows more about the need than I know about the need. And because he cares for me, he doesn't provide for me what I'm asking for. He provides for me what he knows I really need. And something happens in that interaction. It goes from my list and my wants to his desires being engrafted into my heart. And guess what I have? I have whatever I need. Because now he is providing what he knows I need. Because I've engaged in honesty and I've met him in that place. Church, listen to me. For some of you right now, you're in a season of life and you need to know this. God hears when you call on his name. He, listen, he knows what you're going through. And he cares. And he's inviting you to grab a chair, have a seat. Because he wants to provide. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.